hello and welcome to another episode of Unchurchable. I'm Claire Heath McIver and using my own name is still weird. Today's episode had my brain wobbling. I'd watched conspiracy theories take off during COVID and hey, maybe you have too. And maybe I thought it was sort of predictable as these things happen during times of uncertainty. Researchers suggested that when there's economic, political or other upheaval, conspiracy theories, and through them sometimes radicalisation into fringe groups, it all seems to spike. Occam's razor, being that the explanation that requires the fewest assumptions or intellectual hoops is usually correct, well, it seems to just go right out the window. We search for explanations that try to make the world make sense. But things got weird during COVID, and perhaps they were before. QAnon, Flat Earth, 5G conspiracies, they all seemed pretty out there. And I'll admit, it's one of those things that I tried pretty hard not to look at. Sanan Shay, she did the work. Sanan and I met on the interwebs and became friends straight away. She's a nuclear engineer by trade and an ex-evangelical. She did the work deep diving into the world of conspiracy theories, where they overlap in their ideology, and why evangelicalism seems to make people vulnerable or even gullible to taking up these sorts of beliefs. I was a little shocked to learn about the anti-Semitic roots of many of these movements. So look, you're going to want to listen hard today and you're going to want to sit with how to engage with people who believe this stuff. It's nuanced, it's tricky, and people tend to bed down in their harmful or unhelpful beliefs if you confront them outright. Do you know what? I don't even think that a lot of people who circle the top of the conspiracy theory funnel know of the toxicity that exists further down. And I guess that's the thing. That's why conspiracy theories aren't harmless. And that's why radicalization is something that we should keep an eye on. So look, today's episode is a big one. It's a bit different. And I I, I really loved it. I hope you will too. Sanane is a badass. She's fab. So have a listen. Uh, usually I do a bit of a context piece here, a bit of a wrap about where in history this episode is being recorded, what's happening in politics and the evangelical world or the evangelical world. But look, I've been off news sites in the Twittersphere for this week due to the old fan fan being in the news again, so I'm not going to do the rap. What I'm going to do, though, is introduce to you Dr. Clint Haycock from the Mindshift podcast. That's this week's sponsor. Sanani and I will be talking about all things conspiracy related. After that, I'm Claire Heath McIver and this is Unchurchable. I was raised in a cult. Of course, if you'd have asked me all those years ago or anyone else in our small fundamentalist church if we were a cult, we'd have indignantly replied, absolutely not. Other groups like the Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, they're cults, but we're not a cult. Everything became normalized, though, but it wasn't until decades later, after I deconstructed my entire belief system and walked away from the Christian faith entirely, that I began to see just how cultish the whole thing actually was. But before all of that, for over 20 years, I'd served both as a pastor and a Bible college teacher, so I had a hand in it, furthering the toxicity also. So in the process of rebuilding my life and discovering my authentic identity, I've got lots to work through, things like religious trauma syndrome, rapture anxiety, and just so much more. Join me, Dr. Clint Haycock, on the MindShift podcast as we take a look at such topics as cult tactics and psychology, religious trauma syndrome and religious addiction, taking your life back after leaving a cult or high-control group, and finally, dominion theology and the dangers posed by the Christian right, not just in America, but indeed the world. You can find my show on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or anywhere else you get your podcasts. Who knows, it might just be time for a mind check.
Unchurchable. I was Kit Kennedy. I'm now Claire Heath McIver again, and this is the first episode I'm doing under my real name. Sue me, guys. It's a it's a moment. I'm here with Sinane Shay, otherwise known as Taking Off the Tinfoil Hat on uh, on Instagram. I think you're drinking. What are you oh, drinking? I am drinking a Negroni because I ran out of wine. <laughs> <laughs> She's drinking a Negroni because it's 7.30 p.m. at night where she is. And I'm drinking coffee because I did not get enough sleep last night and it's 9.30 a.m. where I am. How are you, Sinane? I'm so good. Thank you so much. It's so good to see you again. So um, good. <laughs> so happy to be here. <laughs> We've had a couple of like late night gossip sessions when I've seen that you've been online and just been like, oh, my God, I've got political goss, let's just jump on um, <laughs> jump on Zoom. But we've never actually sat down and talked about what connected us in the first place. So first, before we jump into that, um, tell, tell us a bit, a bit about yourself. What is taking off the tinfoil hat? Who are you? All of the <laughs> Who are you? Um, Big question. Sh- sure. Yeah. Um, so I am American. Uh, so couldn't tell, you know, couldn't the tell from the voice and yeah, crikey. Uh, <laughs> and I am from Florida, which is, uh, I think even in Australia, you guys know what's up over there. And oh yeah. Yeah. We, we want to send out. Okay. So our political loonies, our fringe right wing nutters, we call them cookers over here or mm-hmm. RWNJs. Um, and and there is a strong sort of argument to send all of our cookers to Florida. Please don't. Please, we <laughs> we're well, do at you max capacity. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Maybe <laughs> yeah. you come here. We'll send our cookers to to Florida. But continue. Um, yeah. But I was raised in a fundamentalist Christian evangelical Protestant, lots of different influences. So like I went to some Southern Baptist churches. I went to like non-denominational private Christian schools and um, like our home church was a Calvary chapel, which is a non-denominational. And that's just kind of code for evangelical. Um, And it was very Republican Right. And which is the, you know, obviously the conservative party. And mm-hmm. like, I don't think I ever met a Democrat growing up. Um, it was <laughs> it was a slur to call somebody a Democrat. And honestly, I think I was afraid of them. Um, right. Like we were told that they were literally like evil and <laughs> that uh, Obama was going to all of his communist lackeys were going to overtake the country. And like, you know, it was lots of fear mongering around like the political stuff. Um, a lot of conspiracy theories, uh, in the political stuff as well as with the religious stuff. Um, and just very white evangelical nationalist, um, Mm -hmm. the private Christian school that I went to had, uh, our mascot were the Patriots, um, like revolutionary war Patriots. Um, (laughs) cool and normal yeah super super cool and normal (laughs) and um when that was all going on when I was growing up like it was just you're a child you don't know any better um I thought that it was normal it was totally normalized and as I got older I realized you know some of these beliefs were definitely wrong or fringe or weird or something but I just didn't think that it was important I didn't think it was a big deal if my parents like hated Obama or something um I didn't know anything about politics Mm. and I had been 
you know, indoctrinated since childhood in, into this worldview. So yeah. when they told me that Democrats were scary and that Obama was evil and like all of this stuff, I just assumed they knew something that I didn't. Yeah. And then I was also somewhat influenced by IBLP. Um, also, the shiny happy people documentary that just came out would have been a moment for you. Oh, huge. And I knew most of that already. Um, it yeah. was so incredibly validating to see it on the screen and to yeah. know that so yeah. many people were hearing about this finally. Um, and to see those, like the survivors, like do their interviews and stuff like, oh my God, heroes. Um, yeah. I was very, very, very lightly um, influenced by IBLP, not anything on the same scale, but everyone I knew growing up was going to IBLP summer camps. And by everybody knew, I meant girls. They were all going to those <laughs> training centers. They were all going to these girls only summer camps and things. Um, my, It's it's interesting that you say lightly influenced. Like I thought I'm over in Australia. I didn't think I'd be influenced by IBLP at all. Um, and IBLP is uh, Gothard. It is Institute for Biblical Life Principles. It is basically patriarchy on steroids. Mm -hmm. um, it is some pretty hardcore uh, approaches to discipline. It is uh, a dovetails hugely with the Vision Forum. There's like homeschool, quiverful, dominionism, political influence, like it all kind of dovetails into this like melting pot of, of horrendousness, doctrinally speaking. And we are kind of like bathed in that growing up, even if we didn't know it, like we, it's kind of in the Petri dish that we were created from, isn't it? 100%. I mean, it is just classic evangelical Christianity, which is everywhere, just yeah. on you know, maybe cocaine or steroids or something. It's the same <laughs> yes. thing. It's just more concentrated. And, yeah. but I say I was, I personally was more lightly influenced because I did not go to those camps. Yeah. My family was not personally involved in this, but my best friend, their family had like Bill Gothard VHS tapes and uh, <laughs> VHS tapes. Yeah. I mean, oh, I just dated that's myself. Confronting. <laughs> There's so much. Yeah. When I think back to VHS tapes, here's a shocker. Here's a shocker. Um, you know that, what was that cult that Joaquin Phoenix was in? Oh, I don't know. I think it was called the children of God. Okay. It might've been called the children of God, but they did all of these like, like, they used to call them kitty vitties, which is really creepy treehouse these days. But like songs like "Do Cause Daddy Says So," "Do oh, no. Cause Daddy Says So," no, 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 like, no. really. No. <laughs> we watched these videos, and then I watched this documentary, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, it was cult propaganda that I was like growing up on." Um, you know, probably before my dad's church kind of veered really, you know, the way it did. Um, but yeah, it's funny how you can be indoctrinated by something. Like even if you're overseas and even if it's just around you and you're not kind of fully in it. And I think later on in this podcast we'll talk about what is indoctrination and mm -hmm. what is, um, yeah, because I think it, it's, it probably forms an important substrate of what has attracted your attention and that is conspiracy theories. So before I want to get to that, but so you're growing up kind of IBLP adjacent. Mm hmm you're growing up evangelical. Mm -hmm. Your Southern Baptist, which is just Southern as bad. Baptist. Oh gosh, um, how do you start to piece together an exit, and what was that like for you? 
So I did not realize that I needed an exit until Mm. not really, not truly until COVID. But why I bring up IBLP and my connection to that is just to say that like all of the other girls that I grew up with, and that is an extremely patriarchal misogynistic system. um, And my family wasn't a part of that. My mother was um, a firefighter and in a time when women were not firefighters and she had an extremely hard time. Um, And I knew about that. And my father supported her and none yeah. of my other friends, moms, it, you know, worked, um, or if they did, it wasn't something like that. And yeah, my mom also had previous life experience where she had basically dated some bad guys <gasps> who ha- had been Ooh. in abusive relationships. Oh, um, gosh, she, she was not super evangelical prior to having kids. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, she was a Christian, but she wasn't like, you know, hardcore about it. And yeah. So she always told me basically like, never trust a man. Uh, (laughs) Don't put yourself under the power of a man. Like, you know, you want to be equally yoked and, you know, basically always have an exit strategy. Um, And that was the complete opposite of everything that I saw from everywhere else and all of my other friends. And so she told me to get an education, whereas all of my other friends were not encouraged for higher education at all. Yeah. So I got to go to college and that was a huge difference from anybody else that I knew. While I was Mm -hmm. in college, my best friend, the one who had IBLP uh, VHS tapes, she was teaching English in Taiwan through an IBLP program. They had all these international missions and things. Um, And so she didn't, you know, she didn't go to college. Mm. Uh, That's what she did. And that was an exit that I didn't realize that I needed. And yeah. even through all of undergrad, I was still very much indoctrinated, very much an evangelical. I looked for a new church. We like I lived with a girl from my hometown who was equally as indoctrinated. Um, you know, I was scared to make new friends because you cannot be friends with people who are not evangelicals because they will be like a satanic influence and stuff. Mm. And um you know, so definitely put a damper on my social life a little bit. But, um, oh, I can just hard relate to that. I the really the the thing about evangelicalism, the thing about indoctrination, is that it puts the monster in your head. You don't need somebody else to enforce it because the control mechanisms are in you. And um, yes. I think this is probably a good a good time to actually talk about this. What is indoctrination? Um, I've I've seen it come up on my Twitter feed a bit uh, just yesterday. The opposition leader. So, um, okay. So in in Australia, we've got um, the Liberal Party, which is ironically named because it is essentially the, the Conservative Party, and we've got the Labor Party. So Labor is in power. The opposition leader is the head of the Liberal Party federally. He was at a, a gathering and he was talking about how schools are indoctrinating our young people. Oh, and I, I, oh, nope, mm, nope. <laughs> uh, and um, it put my hackles up straight away because indoctrination is a serious thing mm-hmm. and it, it relies on intellectual bypassing. It relies on people not having the internal scaffolding to be able to sense check what they're being told, to be able to follow the logic through, to be able to um, to, to think, does, does this make sense? Is it Does it track with the other information I'm being presented? Um, so indoctrination is actually serious. And they say there's four steps. Um, the first is softening up. So if you've been born into a church system, you're not going to need that because you're 
been like raised in it, but like for somebody being indoctrinated into a movement, kind of being told the more palatable aspects of of um, the doctrines, kind of being love bombed, being brought in and being made soft enough to get some of these this indoctrination through. Then there's compliance where you're going to get bombarded with the messaging and you're going to start to comply. Then there's internalization where the monster's in your head. And then there's consolidation. So it's it's a stage sort of a process. It relies on intellectual bypassing. It relies on not having any intellectual skills or virtues. Indoctrination makes an important part of your story because your observations have been around the gullibility of evangelicals to conspiracy theories. (laughs) Oh, yes. (laughs) So when you say indoctrination, what was that like for you and what role did having (laughs) your mother, I mean, she sounds like an absolute badass and I kind of, I love her for that, Um, but it sounds like other people might have said that she was a Jezebel or that she was the reason you went astray and all that kind of thing. Um, Yeah. Yes and no. So she, mm-hmm. she, I can solidly identify as this powerful influence in my life for the positive. Yeah. yeah. But at the same time, you know, two things can be true at once. She, Absolutely. I think, became much more focused on evangelicalism after she had children. She wanted to raise us right. She wanted us, you know, to have a Christian foundation. And I think throughout my life, she just became more and more radicalized into that. Um, Uh, You know, so she had, she knew some good things. She had life experience, but at the same time she was being, you know, washed in this ideology. So. Indoctrinated um, as it were. uh, A little bit, a little bit. And so, so when, (laughs) so I don't think anybody ever called her a Jezebel or anything like that. Yeah. we Maybe that's to- just what people call me. Hi, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I, I only hope that people call me a Jezebel. Um, it's kind of a badge of honor. <laughs> <laughs> but, and also, like, we were not, like, independent fundamentalist Baptists. We were not yeah. in IBLP. We were going to a Calvary Chapel, which is, like, a cool yeah. kid church. It's, like, everybody's wearing, like, you know, Volcom and Hurley surfer brands and stuff. So <laughs> it's not like she was not She was refusing to wear the floor-length skirts, and so she was a Jezebel. It wasn't anything like that. Yeah. Um, so, but, and, and, and to that with the indoctrination and stuff, a large chunk of that is, it's just, um, I'll tell you what I think about it. And then you can tell me <laughs> if you think well, I'm totally off. Yeah. Good, good. So, um, there is a difference between, it, it depends on the terms that you use and different experts, yeah. uh, define terms differently. Different experts yeah. don't even like to use certain terms because they've just mm-hmm. been too socially stigmatized. So like some people don't even like to use the word cult. Um, some yeah, people don't like high demand groups instead to kind of take the edge off. Yeah. Right. Some people mm. don't like to use mind control or brainwashing or any of these things, but for the definitions that I'm talking about, mm-hmm brainwashing. And I don't know if you've read um, Dr. Robert J. Lifton's Thought Reform and the Psychology of Totalism. I love that book. It's, it's incredible. my Bible. Yeah. <laughs> yes. He talks about um, prisoners of war and also um, Chinese nationals who were escaping essentially the communist takeover of China. And there's like a series of case studies. And then he talks about thought reform. And he talks about brainwashing. And this is more um, 
like prisoner of war situation. Think mm-hmm. like battered wife or mm-hmm. kidnapped victim. There is physical Stockholm control. Syndrome, that kind of thing. Yeah. Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. it's abuse. It's physical violence. It's a different type of influence. Um, whereas, and it uses thought reform, but like thought reform that a cult would use, they're not like, you know, kidnapping you and then like keeping you in a cell and forcing you to believe things. They are much more manipulative and much more subtle and coercing you into believing things. Um, It's much more voluntary. Yeah. Personally, I think that childhood indoctrination, I mean, it's both, but it's much closer to brainwashing because as a child, you do not have any independent resources. You do not have um, control of your movement. You can't go anywhere. You are stuck in this and they control your food. They control what you're rewarded for, what you're punished for. You don't have a choice. Um, And then the other thing that, and I don't remember which I think it has actually talked about in multiple of the books that I've read. And um, for anybody who's interested, I'll just throw this in throughout the conversation. Um, I have a list of all of the books that I've read on my website. Um, So if you're wondering, like, you know, where am I getting this stuff from? uh, You can look at that and decide if I'm a quack or not. But uh, (laughs) Dr. Lalich, Dr. Singer, Dr. Hassan, Dr. Uh, Lifton, they're all these cult experts. And they talk about how when you are – recruited into a cult, like as an adult, um, think of the Moonies, like, you know, the Mm -hmm. big scare in the 1970s was all the college kids joining the Moonies and stuff. Um, you adopt that group's totalistic ideology and you almost, you you adopt their language, you adopt their, their perspective and their worldview, how they see things. You think you dress, you talk like them, you adopt what they call basically a group persona, a cult persona, a new personality. And when you leave the group, if you're lucky enough to, you know, deconstruct from a cult, um, Mm. you kind of just snap back and revert to your original personality. Um, Yes. It's jarring. It's jarring. It's jarring. Except if you are a victim of childhood indoctrination, you do not have a previous worldview. You don't have a previous personality and you're left with absolutely nothing. And worse than nothing, you are left with having to dig out all of the trash that has been built on. And then you have to develop an entire worldview Mm -hmm. that is something that should take you decades of childhood with, you know, the direction of parents and people. You have to do all of that on your own as an adult while also still like functioning in real life and jarring doesn't even begin yeah. to describe it. Yeah. Um, and what you're describing there is I actually did a blog on it. Um, the cult pseudo personality a, a few weeks ago, but it's, it's really interesting because Patrick, my ex-husband, he joined my dad's church at age 15. So he had a pre 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 personality and then he really conformed. And this new personality was straight and was quite serious as opposed to being quite flamboyant and artistic and whereas I was raised in it. So I had an entirely different experience of leaving and what you're saying is so bang on the money because he snapped right back. He was and he did this kind of second adolescence thing um, in a, in a bit more of a constructive way than perhaps he would have first time th- through because he was still a father of two kids and he was still, you know, a, a, an <laughs> adult with responsibilities. But it was a jarring kind of snapback. And it was interesting for me because, I mean, I was, we lived together for a year after we separated during the pandemic and all of that. So I was observing him kind of snapping back to the kid I knew 
um, like way back then, but but the 35-year-old version of it. Whereas with me, I'm going, am I actually an extrovert or is that just the way that I present? Um, and it is totally just the way I present. My happy place <laughs> is like in between three and five friends and over the, after that I do this trauma kind of thing where I <laughs> – I take control of the room. I'm the funniest person in the room. I'm the most flamboyant person in the room, but it's a control mechanism because I don't want to feel out of control. And so you find yourself navigating your way through um, what is it that I like? What is it that I don't like? What is it that I value? Um, dating, my God, that's interesting because um, as as somebody who's grown up in a fairly complementarian, strongly complementarian, um, patriarchal yeah. kind of system, your automatic reaction is to just be the person that this man on the other side of the table wants you to be because that makes you safe. So I just didn't date for three years. I've only just started to kind of get back in the game now, but yeah, it's it's interesting. It is that that whole pre post personality is so interesting and it's Mm. a legitimate, it's a legitimate um, phenomenon. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, um, you know, and I am incredibly lucky because my husband, cause I'm, I'm also married and was married by this point, but he mm-hmm. was not a part of this. He was not a part of evangelicalism. I was yeah. somehow even while an evangelical smart enough to kind of like find a guy who wasn't. And, uh, he was, he was raised Catholic. So he was still a Christian. Um, yeah. not that my mother would agree with that. And, uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, because Catholics are, yeah, that we're kind of told they're a lesser form of, well, not a lesser. It just depends. They're I was others. told that they weren't going to heaven. You know, like I was told yeah, that the Catholics that. are still going to hell. They're not real Christians. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, so I had that also as an escape and yeah. an influence. And my husband is yeah. extremely intelligent and very perceptive. Um but you, he, you say, oh, my husband is, but so are you. Your degree was in uh, nu- nuclear engineering. Yeah. So you know, I, I have a math brain. It's not <laughs> surpri- surprisingly, nuclear engineering does not come in handy on the day to day. And if it does, we're in trouble. So, yeah. <laughs> but like when you say you got a college education, like you got a college education, and um, and I've, I've had, I've, had the privilege of being able to read a sample of your writing and in this sample of your writing I read this this recount of you as a nuclear engineer having someone mansplain (laughs) was it flat earth uh yes I had I I know a flat earther because that is my hometown yeah so the book starts with the time that I met a flat earther um who was a friend of a friend because mm-hmm. there's just, as you go on uh, into the rest of my story, there's so many incredibly disturbing parallels between just flat eartherism, which I think most people can agree is just completely bonkers. And <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, one would hope, one would hope, but these days hope. I don't know. Um, and just the generic evangelicalism that I grew up yeah. in, like the parallels are, absolutely disturbing and then like you know and and with evangelical well first you know there's parallels with all of the conspiracy theories that happened in 2020 with covid with QAnon, Mm -hmm. with voter fraud with all of that um and then you cannot not make the connection between those crazy conspiracy theories and 
the white evangelical nationalism and that ideology that I grew up in, just because the statistics yeah. are completely overwhelming mm. on who believed them, who believed yeah. these conspiracy theories. Um, so let, let's know, dive into that a little bit more, because white Christian nationalism is something that is, I mean, we can look and, and think, oh, yeah, that's an American phenomenon, but it's spreading. No. It's it, and and so we've got this, um, you know, we've got these. I, I think largely disenfranchised, um, often young men. Um, there's it dovetails kind of with the anti-trans movement, with the, the neo-Nazi movement. Sadly, in more mm-hmm. extreme cases. Um, so, what is it that lays the groundwork for people to um, believe these things that are so bonkers? What lays the groundwork? <laughs> diagram. Why do people want to believe conspiracy theories, and why are evangelicals so susceptible? Um, and go. <laughs> okay, uh, there is no Venn diagram. It is a circle. And <laughs> uh, my the whole second half of my book. You know, the first half is basically talking about all of the specifics of these conspiracy theories, because Mm. I think that it is a story that is just so widely shared, literally every single person, whether you're in the United States or Australia or anywhere else has lost friends and family, possibly to the virus, which is a tragedy, but also to conspiracy theories, um, which is a different tragedy. Mm -hmm. And so that's the first half of the book, but the second half of the book is really kind of why, Um, I personally just needed to understand why. And I think, you know, if I could, if I could pass a message out to anybody, it's that this is not a fringe issue. Um, these are not personal issues. It's not just your dad or your uncle or your grandpa or whoever. It is a systemic societal issue. And we want to pretend like it is you know, oh, it's, it's just like, oh, my family, I have to deal with this because the rest is just too scary. And I do think that it comes back down to cults again. So mm-hmm. if you are, you might be surprised or you might not be, but, you know, people That's might be surprised be. that <laughs> uh, <laughs> white evangelical nationalism is not a cult. Um, and again, it comes down to the definitions that you're using and which yeah. experts' definitions you're talking about. But um, generally, they all agree um, that it's something like a charismatic leader, a system of control, a system of influence, and a transcendent belief system. Yeah. And that is what a cult is. That is a cult, a traditional destructive cult. This is what you have with Heaven's Gate or Jonestown or um, the Manson family, things that ended with like mass suicide or murder or what have you. Um, White evangelical nationalism doesn't have a Bill Gothard figure. IBLP was more of a destructive cult. Um, But even, but what cults do is they use a totalistic ideology. Um, A, and I, the other word that you can swap out with totalistic ideology is worldview, which just sets me right over the edge because uh, I grew up, that is in the lexicon of my childhood. So many times I heard Christian worldview, biblical worldview, the 
Christian school that I went to for elementary and middle school on their website advertises instilling a Christian worldview. And that is literally them advertising that they will indoctrinate your child into a totalistic ideology for you because you don't have the time or resources to homeschool to do it yourself. That's that's what you get if you put indoctrination and education into thesaurus.com. It'll spit that out. (laughs) (laughs) And um, so cults, use this absolutist worldview, but they center it, they center the veneration on their charismatic leader. Yeah. Um, so why even nationalism is not a cult, but it is a totalistic ideology. It is an all-encompassing totalistic worldview. They have the absolute truth. They have an answer for literally everything. Yeah. And this relies on, feeds on, and encourages a lot of the psychological and logical fallacies that we are all just prone to. Yeah. Um, and I think that The God Delusion by Richard Dawkins is an incredible read on this because he talks about some of the specific fallacies like intention bias or agency mm-hmm. bias. Mm -hmm. Um, and how they're connected to just how we evolved. It's Mm. just because we're animals that we have these biases. Yeah. Um, But it all leads to teleological um, thinking, which is this idea that everything happens for a reason. Um, The sun is warm to, you know, to keep us warm. The sun provides heat to keep us warm and to grow our crops. Instead of we evolved in this very specific way because of the environment that the sun just naturally made. Okay, that makes Um, sense. Yeah, so. See, I didn't even realize that one was in my head, even though it's not. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's just it's just what you learn, isn't it? Like the sun yeah, does and, well, and, and that's fundamentally that is, you know, creationism, that, you know, everything <laughs> was created by God for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you have this teleolog- teleological mindset, which most importantly means that there are no coincidences. And yeah. this produces what Dr. Robert J. Lifton called personal closure, which is synonymous for what Dr. Yanya Lalich calls bounded choice. Um, right. Everything can be explained from within the, I, that group's doctrine. So yeah. why did Donald Trump lose the 2020 election? Either white evangelical nationalists were not strong and righteous enough and God abandoned them, or there was some sort of satanic tampering. Um, yeah. Because it must fit within their framework. and. Wow. I admit I'd only kind of glossed over this, like, you know, that the, the anti-vax kind of movement was likely linked somehow with this apocalyptic worldview of mm-hmm. the mark of the beast, triple sixes on the skull, the kind of 5G, um, you know, that whole conspiracy about the mm-hmm. 5G towers and the, the vaccines and oh all my this God. kind of stuff. Yeah, like it's it's bonkers when you you, you delve into the um, the specifics of each conspiracy theory but I kind of linked it back to yeah the apocalyptic worldview but which again it's it's a worldview um but you're right yeah this this thing of bounded choice and if we don't know the words for it we can't identify it as Mm -hmm. problematic or as as something that was part of our own indoctrination um so yeah that's interesting Well, and I think that there's um, a lot of different ways that you can look at this. I've listened to other, you know, podcast interviews and read books by people who are looking at the problem of white evangelical nationalism through the perspective of psychology and narcissism, or, you know, through the lens of, you know, historical political movements and things. And I think that like each one of these different perspectives offers value. Um, But what has like made the most sense for me in my brain is to use the language around cults. Mm -hmm. Um, 
But the thing, Sir Arthur Cannon Doyle, um, mm-hmm. he's the guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes. He has this quote saying I that. I was like, I'm pretty sure that's the Sherlock Holmes guy, but I, <laughs> yeah. I can't be right. We're talking about gold. <laughs> I'm feeling vindicated right now. <laughs> he has this really great quote where he says that once you have eliminated all of the impossible options, whatever is left, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. And when you exist in a totalistic ideology and you you have removed part of reality as impossible. And so whatever's left, however improbable, must be the truth. And so, you know, the idea that the majority of Americans don't want to live in a misogynistic, homophobic theocracy is not on not an option. Yeah, it's option. not one of the bounded choices. But now, even though it's improbable, Jewish space lasers and microchips are on the table. Jewish space lasers. Seriously. I I literally know a woman who believes in Jewish space lasers. Again, my hometown. Um, (laughs) I'm just gonna, I mean, I know that anti-Semitism exists. I, I, you know, that's something that we seem to be battling a bit of an uptick in, in Australia, but Jewish space lasers, holy wow. Well, (laughs) are you familiar with the protocols of the elders of Zion? No. Oh, okay. So you should be. Everybody should be. Let me just. <laughs> we're going down a little bunny trail. Um, All right. we'll, we'll come back to the thing that we were talking about before. But let's go. Let's dive down this, this rabbit hole. So, I just think that this is so important. So, like, for people who don't know what QAnon is, it's this conspiracy mm-hmm. theory that started on these like dark web forum sites that only nerds like me would know about. Mm-hmm. And um, it was somebody who was pretending to have a Q level top secret security clearance directly connected to Trump leaking secret information. And the conspiracy right. theory is that there is a cabal of satanic elite billionaire pedophiles who are pulling the string of global governments and driving us you know, towards an era of one world order, which ties into biblical end times prophecy. And they are running these massive underground rings of child sex trafficking of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of children. And this is all fake. This is all fake. (laughs) To be clear, this is the conspiracy theory. And they're not doing this just because they're pedophiles. They're not doing this just because they, you know, they love to be pedophiles. They're doing it um, as part of ritual satanic abuse. They're sacrificing these children for blood rituals to, I'm sorry, just all of the trigger warnings. I should have started with that. That's Um, all right. I'll start the episode with trigger warnings. Yeah. This is what QAnon is. And I, I still find people who don't know this and they are sacrificing these children and extracting the oxidized adrenaline from their blood uh, and calling it adrenochrome, which is a real substance. And I'm pretty sure you can just buy it on Amazon or something, Um, but it doesn't do anything. But the conspiracy theory is that this is either some sort of like anti-aging drug or like a really wicked high. And um, anybody who has seen Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden knows that they are not on an anti-aging serum, but whatever. And... (laughs) (laughs) The only person who is fighting this cabal is Donald Trump. And there's a fun little twist that he's also a time traveler. And there's other twists that like JFK Jr. is like his sidekick. And there's like a whole thing. And this is essentially QAnon. It spins off into 1,000 billion other conspiracy theories. but And it really, really, really ties into like the lore of the rapture and biblical end times. Um, And Q... The guy who was like, you know, dropping all these secret hints, his Q drops literally had Bible verses smattered throughout them. And because it's just, it's a part of this, you know, this milieu. The protocols of the elders of Zion, 
if you look up on the Holocaust Museum website, it talks about this as the single most damaging, dangerous, anti-Semitic publication that has ever happened in human history. And well, there's two things. One is blood libel. Um, And for that, you have to go back to the Middle Ages. So I'm talking like 1100. And there was some sort of like Byzantine monk who popularized this, unfortunately, but it was this conspiracy theory in the Middle Ages that Jewish people were kidnapping and ritualistically sacrificing Christian children and or priests. Which didn't happen. Which did not happen. And then in the, and I don't remember the numbers off the top of my head. I really need to fresh up on this, but it's in like the late, mid, late 1800s. You have a French satirical pamphlet that is published that has nothing to do with Jewish people. And it's, it's some sort of satirical pamphlet. A couple years or decades later, somebody finds this, plagiarizes it and just swaps out the bad guys for Jews and republishes wow. it as the protocols of the elders of Zion. And it has had several different names throughout history. Um, and this draw in the early 1900s, just in time for Hitler, and was massively popular. Um, Ford, the guy who makes the trucks, Gerald mm-hmm. Ford? No, Henry. he was a president. Henry, <laughs> Henry Ford um, was <laughs> massively anti-Semitic. Um, had his I own... named my kid Henry. I'm going to have to change his name now. <laughs> <laughs> Not after Henry Ford. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry, continue. No, no. Um, he was massively anti-Semitic. He had his own newspaper. Um, I think it was called the Deerfield Gazette. And he would republish the protocols of the elders of Zion in his private newspaper. And then he would put a new, put an anti-Semitic newspaper in every new truck that he sold. And so, and he was also a huge fan of Hitler. Hitler used the protocols of the elders of Zion as one of his many anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. That was a part of, you know, just inspiring this large public fear, uh, you know, that led to precursor to genocide. World War II. And God, so this is this is the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. And the, and the conspiracy theory in the Protocols of the Elders of Zion is that there is a cabal of elite billionaire Jews who are pulling the strings of global governments and driving the world to one world order. And they are satanic and they're performing blood rituals. And this sounds exactly like QAnon. So, <gasps> and it also sounds... What most people probably don't know because they're not insane like I am. Um, it also sounds very similar to Flat Earth, and it sounds very similar to every single other large-scale conspiracy theory that you can think of. Um, they are literally—they're so lazy. They're just regurgitating. They're just plagiarizing off of what was very successful in like the 1930s. Um, this, yeah. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion. Anything that's telling you that there is a large cabal of evil elites, whether or not they say Jewish out loud somebody is so wow so as a conspiracy theory noob here like this is the thing that i wrestle with obviously the cult issue is something that i wrestle with so so my question is do people purposefully go back to the source documents and go oh i'll adapt they can't they must like or or do they just can't do these things accidentally develop along the same lines as I what other don't know. I have. think that there's a mix. I mm-hmm. think that like the protocols of the elders of Zion are very popular among QAnon yeah. believers and flat earthers. Like they know what it is and they are sharing it yeah. and they know what blood libel is. And they, they like people who are really, really into this know the history. So I don't know. Well, so for flat earth specifically. Yeah. 
Um, I do know the history of that, actually, uh, because that started like the modern idea of flat eartherism started in, I want to say, like the mid to late 1800s. And it, oh, there gosh. was a guy named Samuel Rowbotham, who was this British guy who basically started the flat earth movement. And he was like a yeah. snake oil salesman. Um, he started doing these lectures where he was shedding, uh, spreading his flat earth beliefs and then it kind of, he was very, very popular. He was filling entire lecture halls. He had people who were bankrolling him because they thought that he had something. And, um, <laughs> you know, over the over the decades and stuff, I think that he kind of went away. Like he published several books and there's the, <laughs> those things stick around. And yeah. um, I, I looked into this briefly, but I think it was around the like 1930s, 1940s, sometime, you know, like much, much later, um, mm. it got picked up again. And now you're yeah. in the era of... Uh, radio and internet and then once social media hit it became much 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 more popular right um, but i don't i don't think that i have read anything that said samuel Rowbotham was familiar with like the protocols of the elders of zion i do think that like to an extent some of this is just kind of you know we're all prone to the same logical fallacies and so we kind of end up in the same pitfalls um so and this is interesting and we'll talk about logical fallacies in a second but like I've noticed uh, on the Twitter on the Twitter sphere which is an incre- increasingly toxic place now that uh the melon husk has taken over <laughs> <laughs> um, but the words elites the words mm-hmm. um like there's this kind of language of conspiracy theory that's kind of coming out at people. Um, And so what I'm hearing from, as I'm just listening to you speak, is that we can think that people who believe in conspiracy theories is that it's harmless. Oh, okay. So you believe that the 5G towers are interfering with human DNA or whatever. Fine. You believe that, whatever. You're a nutter. There's actually something a lot more dangerous here in that once you, it's like the indoctrination that the more palatable, aspects of the the conspiracy theory kind of sit at the top of the rim and then you fall into this funnel and mm-hmm. it becomes increasingly um angst-ridden increasingly um wired into you and it, this indoctrination process can really happen quite quickly with people especially when there's disturbances in society like a pandemic like an economic downturn mm-hmm. that cause us to um, access that fearful part of us and need certainty um, and this is the thing that evangelicalism sells us is certainty and it's the bounded choice issue that we were talking about before mm-hmm. um, before we talked about Jewish space lasers and QAnon uh, <laughs> It's, it's funny, but it's not. It's not funny at all. It's actually deeply concerning. So you we shouldn't be laughing at cry. conspiracy theories. It's fine. But- I, I, I have a probably like far too dark of a sense of humor. So it's part of coping, isn't it? I think mm-hmm. part of leaving evangelicalism is it's a ministry I take very seriously. Evangelical shit posting, meme shit posting on on Instagram. I think it's a ministry. It's a ministry. <laughs> Yes, you can call I me Pastor that. Claire of the evangelical meme shit posting oh my ministry. God. Um, but yeah, so logical fallacies. For people who go, what the hell is a logical fallacy? These are issue, chinks in the armour in the way that we process um, information that, that mm-hmm. you know, we're so driven towards psychological safety. But, but why don't you just go into a little bit more detail on, on what a logical fallacy is? Um. Sure. So there's um, a couple books that I have read that go into a lot more detail on some of these. So um, I want to say 
Rob Brotherton wrote Suspicious Minds. And then uh, Joseph Usinski and Joseph Parent wrote a book called American Conspiracy Theories. And each of these go into like a series of uh, these logical fallacies specifically to do with conspiracy theories and mm-hmm. why people fall for conspiracy theories. And um, I'll just, uh, to pick a few random ones um, yeah. that I think, you know, make a lot of sense to me. There is a logical fallacy of scale. Mm-hmm. The human mind just cannot conceive anything outside of the world of like inches and feet and meters. If you start yeah. talking about light years or, you know, picometers, um, you, th- that doesn't mean anything to us. Yeah. Um, and I'm a nuclear engineer. So I very often am working with very, very large numbers, very, very small numbers. I think yeah. that it's like one Curie, which is a very common measure of radiation, is like 3.7 times 10 to the 10 disintegrations per second. Like that number which doesn't I mean can't anything. even compute in my head. Right. And so um, when you hear talk of COVID deaths and they're rattling off 100,000, 500,000, a million, 7 million, whatever it is, um, you know, they, the news was putting it into, it's this many 9-11s a day. It's this many football stadiums full of people who have died because they're trying to bridge the gap between our, you know, our understanding. And that, that gap of hearing a number and not like fully understanding what it means is where you end up with this dehumanization. Like it's right. just, it's separate from you. That doesn't yep. mean anything unless you personally lose somebody. Um, yeah. And then with this, you know, with us not really understanding like numbers and things very well, um, you have this fallacy of proportionality. And I think this is a huge one a Mm -hmm. huge one for COVID because you think that if something huge happens, something really, 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 really bad, like COVID, something huge must have caused it. Right. And that is not true. That is not true. This is something that viruses happen. We have seen plagues and things throughout history. It is, you know, it's a single mutation. It is, you know, whatever it is. Um, It is not. And so that just isn't a, it it doesn't feel good as an answer. And so people are like, nah, it's got to be a cabal. Um, (laughs) (laughs) It's got to be. That's the obvious answer. It has to be a cabal. (laughs) This is Occam's razor in action here. (laughs) And um and then uh, the, another one is kind of this fallacy of complexity. So yeah. um, I th- in one of those books that I mentioned, they talk about there's lots of these like psychological studies. Um, mm-hmm. And they took a bunch of people and they gave them a piece of paper and they were like, hey, draw a functioning bicycle. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows what a bicycle is. Everybody knows what a bicycle looks like. But if you try to draw a functional one, you're not going to be able to do it. You cannot do it. Nobody could do it. They would draw like the chain in the wrong place or the pedals in the wrong place, or they would draw it so that like the hand wheels wouldn't turn. Yeah. Um, you cannot draw a functional bicycle, but everybody was a hundred percent confident that they could. And right. we just don't, we assume that we understand things that we do not understand. And again, yeah. this is where you see kind of this counterbalance between critical thinking and education. Education is not a protection against conspiracy theories or cults. Um, The family, which was an Australian cult. um, Yeah. (laughs) One of my favorites. It's not funny. I'm sorry. This is macabre. But she actually, the house that I lived in right before I moved to Melbourne was right around the corner from the house that Anne Hamilton burned. Oh my God. Like, (laughs) grew up in. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's the, that's a cult. And um, famously it had uh, like 500 something members in it or something, but there was a lot of doctors and lawyers and judges and people who had very highly educated degrees. Education is not a protection against this, but it does statistically there, it does help because me as a nuclear engineer, I understand how difficult it was for me to get my degree. I know how complicated some things can be. And so when a doctor tells me something, and that is something that I don't know anything about, but I know that they have done a lot of work to be an expert in that, I personally have much more respect for their opinion on things. But somebody who maybe has not gone through, um, you know, a technical degree or any like really like rigorous academic work um, may not have that same kind of appreciation you know, re- yeah. appreciation um right. but and again it is not about education it's about critical thinking skills and it's just that education usually sometimes helps with critical thinking skills mm-hmm. but so those are logical fallacies and there there are there's so many more but like yeah. you know these are things that we are all susceptible to and yeah. as i said in the god delusion like he kind of explains how a lot of these are um evolutionary evolutionary derived so yeah one other one because I think that it's very important, especially especially for the white evangelical nationalism and for the evangelical mindset, is um, kind of this uh, inherent respect for authority. Um, yeah. And he talks in his book about how, you know, as we evolved, um, the kids who listened to their parents survived better. And yeah. so yeah we evolved to listen to our parents and our elders and then like when you become an older person that doesn't just like go away exactly no it doesn't and so you have this preconceived um you know desire for authority and then if somebody is like presents themselves as an authority you're going to be more likely to listen to them Um, wow okay that is i mean it's so interesting because these these logical fallacies dovetail really nicely with the way we're indoctrinated in evangelicalism um with this also with our evolutionary psychological drive towards safety so we can easily fall into this and I suppose like I often say that nobody is immune to cults nobody is immune to um because to say that we're immune to cults means we're immune to love bombing we're immune to wanting certainty. We're immune to the feeling of disconnection being answered by this hyper connection. And, and there's all of this groundwork that can be laid very easily to kind of suck us into that vortex. Mm-hmm. So yeah, gosh, that is, I mean, there's so much going through my head now. I kind of admit I had kind of just rolled my eyes a bit at, at conspiracy theories and gone, oh, yeah, that's that. But I had no idea it was so sinister underneath it all. I mean, I knew QAnon was, mm-hmm. and I knew that Q, Q would arguably be the cult leader there, even though. Kind of. Um, kind well, of. And, 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 uh, well, and then if, <laughs> if <laughs> I'm glitching out, um, if, if, we, if, we, if we back up, we back up way back to what we were talking about like a while ago. Um <laughs> I think that Q and QAnon, again, really just comes down to white evangelical nationalism because I would not call QAnon a cult either. Yes, Q is kind of a central figure, but like he's not – most people who are inculcated in QAnon on on some level um, do not know who Q is. They don't know why it's called QAnon. And And so – 
therefore they can't that whoever Q is can't exert that kind of method of control. So is it then a worldview? Is it a worldview? Um, it is, and I think that it is essentially the same as white evangelical nationalism. I think that QAnon is a result of white evangelical nationalism. And right. I say that because, well, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to try to get there. Um, again, kind of like the second half of my book where I'm trying to like work through why yeah. um, in a way that at least appeases me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't, whoever else reads it, I don't know, but um <laughs> I will. <laughs> is that total the totalistic ideology of white evangelical nationalism for me was mm-hmm. built on the twin pillars of biblical inerrancy and American exceptionalism. And for mm-hmm. me to deconstruct, and I was a very average evangelical. Like yeah. I was very, very earnest about my faith. Yeah. I was a very strong Christian. Um, I was bought in hook, line, and sinker. I was not like a problem child or anything like that. I was yeah. a good girl. I was like, I, <laughs> I get straight A's <laughs> and I'm going to, yeah. you know, I'm going to be good at this. And, um, you know, so what, what was enough to break me out of it, I think would be enough or at least a start to break a lot of people out of it. And for me, yeah. I had to break out of biblical inerrancy and American exceptionalism and American exceptionalism and you're Australian, but mm-hmm. I think that the same thing probably applies more broadly. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. America is God's chosen country. Um, that We have this righteous history that we have unprecedented prosperity and freedom because we have adhered to our Judeo-Christian principles and our Judeo-Christian oh. roots. Like well, I'm sorry. We are the great Southland of the Holy Spirit. So beat that. <laughs> I did find out that it was actually a prophecy over Vanuatu, but like all good, all all good things, just in the Asia Pacific region, oh Australia goes. Oh, I like that. I'm going to keep it. Yeah, <laughs> a, a little bit, a little bit of colonization. Russell Crowe. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, exceptionalism. Yeah, yep. But I mean, and, and this is complete and utter bullshit. Like you know, mm. the horsiest horseshit that you have ever you know yeah. heard of because anybody who is not like actively a member of the daughters of the confederacy and just like completely <laughs> denying american history knows and and this is something again because i was indoctrinated through a christian school but yeah. then also just like the school the public school system in the united states is so massively influenced by white evangelical nationalism really completely whitewashed american history but if you if you take even a second to look at actual american history we are built on slavery we are built on segregation and racist immigration and the this extreme patriarchy women could not own a bank account until the 1960s and you want to tell me be able to own it in 2060 if the current trajectory (laughs) continues far out (laughs) so you know so when you say that we have this uh righteous history like we absolutely do not and that we have unprecedented freedoms. We absolutely do not, but this is all propaganda and we, we don't look at that at all, but um, this is built on, you know, this American exceptionalism idea is built on um, American individualism, which is Mm. baked into the core of America. Yeah. And also, and that is directly connected to prosperity gospel because Mm -hmm. it's this bootstrap ego of, well, I 
worked hard. I deserve my wealth. I was righteous. I deserve my blessings. But Mm -hmm. the inverse of that is very, very scary, which is that if you are poor, then you must deserve it. Then you must have done something to deserve, you know, this punishment. Or if you are a rich person, well, then they must be righteous because they've been blessed by God. And so that's just like very, very Uh. subliminally built into the evangelical mindset. Yeah. And, and what I, what I've found very hypocritical in all of this since I've deconstructed is that they, it's essentially saying I saved myself. I chose to believe in Jesus. So (laughs) I chose, I chose salvation. I saved myself. And, you know, they say, oh, Jesus saved me, but I chose Jesus. And if you don't choose Jesus, then you deserve to burn an eternal conscious torment, which is just insane. So, I mean, um, there's a few threads there. Um, And I'd like to warmly thank the rubbish man for coming to fix the, um, the gates around the bins now while I'm trying to record a podcast. Thank you, universe. But like it also... It kind of dovetails with this idea, like there's a lot of judgment that's baked into evangelicalism. If you're sick, you must be in sin. Yep. If you, um, and it, which is false, um, and, and all of these <laughs> other things, like that, the prosperity thing is absolutely one of them. I mean, but the the cognitive dissonance, like if you actually look at this, it doesn't stack up, and that's what destroyed biblical inerrancy for me. Was mm-hmm. just how much of it just didn't stack up, like whether like the Bible never, Jesus never contradicts himself. The Bible never contradicts itself. And you're like, well, what about this verse and that verse? Like they're clearly in contradiction to each other. And then mm-hmm. there's these throwaway lines, these thought stopping cliches that, that stop us from actually thinking too much about that so that we can continue down the road of, of, um, you know, yeah. One, I mean, 100%. Mm. Um, it, it, it's, it's all so manipulative and deceptive and like once you see once you can put a language to it and you can see it (laughs) you know it just like totally blows your whole mind open but the the whole point of all of that is basically to deny systemic inequality because if you acknowledge systemic inequality then suddenly god is not fair and i am not God's chosen special boy. Um, you know, I'm less special. I, I'm less virtuous. And um, the white evangelical church, since the founding of the country, and I'm talking back to slavery, back to segregation, white evangelicals have found themselves on the wrong side of every issue in history because repeatedly. And, and this is very important. Like, and this is like a whole nother podcast essentially, but um America was not founded on Judeo-Christian principles. America was founded on the principle of separation of church and state. And uh, Andrew Seidel, who was a constitutional lawyer, um, wrote an incredible book called The Founding Myth. And he goes into a lot of detail about this. Um, So we are not founded on Judeo-Christian principles, essentially the opposite of that. But this impetus towards white evangelical nationalism has existed since the founding of the country. There was a guy who signed the Declaration of Independence who said that we need to prioritize Christianity and the government should pay for every family to have a Bible. It's always been there, but that's not what we were actually founded on. So we're not founded on Judeo-Christian principles, but we are a Christian hegemony. And that there's a book called White Christian Privilege, and I'm going to mess up her name, but I want to say by Kianti Joshi. And she talks about the history of America as how 
the, the history of immigration, the history of, you know, the founding fathers and all of their comments on things, the history with like slavery and everything, um, and how we use Christian language and we celebrate Christian holidays. And um, with all of the discrimination laws and immigration laws that we have had since the founding, um, white Christianity, and they go together, it's always white and Christian, have been privileged. And so we were not founded on Judeo-Christian principles, but we do live in this Christian milieu. And this this is interesting. I just kind of want to pause on this because it's a lot of it's a lot of information. But like, yeah, we hear this we hear this narrative that that America is a Christian nation. But yeah, you were founded on separation from church and state, which makes this whole drive for the church to infiltrate politics very very ironic, very kind of hypocritical. But like every every nation will have its own kind of I'm the privileged one. Like mm-hmm. with America. American exceptionalism with Australia, the great South land of the Holy spirit with like all these Pacific islands around us, great South land of the Holy spirit, like <laughs> this, you know, the, the, um, Israel, like messianic Jews would be able to say, well, the Jews are God's chosen people. Um, so everybody has their own kind of gate into exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I want to pick up on is the spin, the cognitive dissonance, the, um, the difference between what is true and what we say is true. And this is something that evangelicals are so brilliant at is yeah. spinning a version of truth. And I use air quotes around truth because it's not true. The current anti-trans rhetoric, mm-hmm. um, like there's a lot of oh, like people dropping truth bombs or like, you know, saying that woke lefty culture is averse to truth but yet they're actually spinning these incredibly like unfactual, like just mm-hmm. fear mongering um, stuff that is so clearly like contradicted by actual data. Like, there's, well, there's it's, no, it, yeah. it's just propaganda and it's marketing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, I think there's some books that I haven't read yet, so I can't reference them, but like people have definitely identified that the modern version of white evangelical nationalism. And I'm talking like since Billy Graham, which was really kind of the beginning of the end for us. Um, And specifically much more in the 1960s, 1970s with Tim LaHaye and Jerry Falwell. Um, It's all post-World War II where we learned a lot about war propaganda. And then we also started this rise in um, the industry of marketing and advertising and the white evangelical nationalists have used this and they, and it's again, it's a great effect very manipulative um, and very effective. And, but you can make it look like you've got a huge people movement when you've got five people in a lounge room. Yeah. It's Uh, amazing. And that comes down to kind of like the, the whole point of the, well, well, I want to, I'll back back out to biblical inerrancy for just a second, because Mm -hmm. that for anybody who doesn't know, It's like everything is just so normalized to me. Like even when I'm talking about QAnon and talking about like adrenochrome, like I don't know what I need to explain and what I don't because it's just it's unfortunately my brain is just cooked at this point. But biblical inerrancy is the idea that um, the Bible is completely inerrant, without error, uh, not contradictory, as you said. There's not, and which is such such bullshit. And um, but more importantly, that it is the absolute word of God, which means that it is the absolute truth and it cannot be questioned. And what white evangelical nationalists have done, have, and this is all much more based on the Tim LaHaye version of Left Behind than it is on biblical scholarship. But um, I would say like the primary elements of 
biblical inerrancy, um, which you can make an argument for poorly out of the Bible, is that is hell. Yeah. Um, you know, heaven and hell and penal substitutionary atonement that Jesus died okay. for your sins to save you from hell. And yeah. there are, and I did not know, and this blew my mind that there are other atonement theories. Anybody yes. who's worried about hell, just look up alternative atonement theories because they do exist. And the evangelicals have been lying to you, but yes. hell, penal substitutionary <laughs> atonement, secondary to that, very much baked into white evangelical nationalism from the Bible. I can understand why they think this, but is patriarchy, um, yeah. complementarianism, uh, male headship, Christian yeah. patriarchy, God's plan for the family, whatever you want to call it. It's all just different marketing strategies. Yeah. Um, w- women cannot be pastors and, um, you know, we're all Jezebels. Yes. Um, yes. And then with that, anti-LGBTQ. So yeah. ex- extreme homophobia, just the worst. Just uh, the worst, and then, which is <laughs> ironic given that the queer history of the Bible is written in black, white, and red in all of our bookshelves. It's there. Yeah. <laughs> yes. um, anyway, different story for a different day. Right. And there's so much against that. but um, And then tertiarily, and I'm going to put it on a third tier only because there's so little to justify it in the Bible, but it is just as important to white evangelicals as the other four, is anti-abortion. And yeah. In fact, Numbers 5 literally instructs priests on how to perform them. It's there in the Bible. And yeah, like, yes. yeah so that's – but sure. <laughs> sure. Um, I mean, the, the Jewish tradition, to my understanding, says that yeah. life begins at first breath. But whatever. Yes. Yeah. Um, so this is biblical inerrancy, but it is an extremely propagandized, extremely biased American version. And they say, mm-hmm. and they market this to you as the one true word of God, the only interpretation for the Bible. And growing up in t- childhood indoctrination, you do not know any better. I didn't know no. that there were other atonement theories. David no. P. Gushy, he's wrote a, a couple of books and the ones that I've read have all been great, um, was originally a very conservative um, theologian in evangelical academia. He bounced around between a bunch of different evangelical universities in the United States. And um, he famously kind of came out more recently as pro-LGBTQ. And he wrote a book about it and he was absolutely just destroyed by, you know, the evangelical yeah. community. They, whatever. We're but, great at um, cancel culture while we rail against it. <laughs> one of the books that I read from him that I found extremely interesting to this point is that he talks about being staff at evangelical universities in the United States in the nineties and two thousands and how there were female professors and female leaders in these school settings. Yeah. And there was a wave of essentially white evangelical nationalists that took over all of the evangelical schools and literally kicked out the women. They fired any female professors <gasps> because they Gosh. said that, you know, we are super patriarchy now. And um, I had been taught my entire life that that is how Christianity has been since Jesus. And then David P. J- uh, Gushy in his book says, no, that changed in the 1990s. So wow. it's, it's all just fake garbage. And biblical, but what biblical inerrancy does, and this is this for me, American exceptionalism was easier to debunk of the two things because yeah. it's based on facts. It's based on history. You can, yeah. I mean, again, like I said, even a drop of American history on the, like the race side of things and yeah. it's immediately destroyed. Um, there is, hold on. I have a quote. 
John Adams said, the government of the United States is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. <laughs> like, like, <laughs> there you go. John Adams. Mike Strong and over. <laughs> literally Thanks, said it. Yeah, so it's, it's much easier to debunk. And also because it's not as like a religious of an idea. It's not a faith element. There definitely are people who uh believe that the constitution is a divinely inspired document and that uh you know they 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 carry around pocket constitutions with their pocket bibles Um, and the guy who like wrote and published the pocket constitution i just listened to a podcast about him apparently he was mega racist shocking and um so anyway like that was easier to debunk the biblical inerrancy as something that is like faith-based and something that is at the very core of american evangelicalism was very difficult to break out of and honestly like i could not do that on my own and i found too late in my deconstruction i wish that this had been the first book that i read people who had done it for me you know people who were smarter uh who were biblical scholars people who had actually understood the bible not in just the coloring books like oversimplified evangelical way um and that was How the Bible Actually Works by Pete Enns mm-hmm. and Rob Bell also has a series of books that are very good about Rob that. Rob Bell. So good. So yeah. Good. Um, and, and and something, and, and I'm just, you know, I'm sorry, I'm all over the place, but something that. Um, it's all right. With and this. We've got about five minutes left, so I'm just like. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, something that <laughs> was super. Um, an element of this for me was that I am like low key obsessed with Soren Kierkegaard, who mm-hmm. is um, an 1840s philosopher, um, the father of existentialism. And yeah. his whole message was essentially bringing Christ to Christendom because he was, wow. there was a wave of nationalism in Denmark at the time. And he said, all these Christians have got it wrong. Um, and I've tried, I have a math brain and I have tried yeah. to read Soren Kierkegaard's philosophy and it did not work. And I did not understand right. it at all. And, but I did read a biography about him, another incredible book by Stephen Backhouse called Kierkegaard. And he talks about how Kierkegaard like had a an arch nemesis philosopher. I think his name was Heigl. I don't remember. I love but, the like, idea of, of philosophers at war. <laughs> no, they literally were. So like, I, I want to say his name was Heigl. So like, Heigl would drop a book of philosophy, and then Kierkegaard would be like, "Oh, fuck that!" Would drop another book, and basically de- like debunking all of his things, and they'd go back and forth. And if you just read Kierkegaard's book, and this is from the 1840s, and you haven't read the Heigl books, you really don't know what's going on there. And right. so to look at a book that that is 2000 years old that has been uh you know translated yes. through multiple different languages you know i can't even understand an 1840s philosopher who's speaking about things that are much more relevant and you want to expect that i can just you know on face value understand the bible which is supposed to be like yeah. this much more important work so and that's where the logical fallacies come in to make us understand it a lot easier fit our worldview well, the point of the biblical inerrancy is that it provides absolutism. We have the absolute yeah. answer. This is the heart of their absolutism for their uh, totalistic worldview. And so they can justify literally anything. Tied mm. with that American exceptionalism, they cannot rock the boat. They cannot question the status quo. Yeah. Um, and the status quo in a Christian hegemony is white Christian patriarchy. Um, yeah. Because yeah. if they upset people, then they're not going to attract people to church. And we're, we're, we're all about marketing. We're all about getting people into church, butts and seats. And oh, more butts and seats, more souls saved. And yeah. so you end up with prioritizing like the appearance of success 
the, uh, you know, more people in a church than with doing anything meaningful for the community. And so you end up with the, during segregation, during slavery, all of these things, even the white evangelicals that were against those things would say, we need slow change. We just need, and, and the magic cure, the magic cure is that we, we just need to have, we need to convert everybody to Christianity. Once everybody's a Christian, the world would be a perfect place. And so there's this quote, and I want to say it's from, it's either Billy Graham or Jerry Falwell. I need to look it up. Um, in relation, in retort to MLK Jr. There's a speech where MLK Jr. says, like, basically it's his dream to see um, black and white little boys and girls, like, holding hands and playing in the street. Yeah. And either Billy, I think it was Billy Graham maybe, uh, replied to this in a different sermon saying, uh, we will not see black and white little boys and girls holding hands in the street until judgment day in heaven. That will never happen in this life. Um, because if they question the status quo, then they lose significance, they lose power and they prioritize the next world over this one. And so you never see any meaningful change from the evangelicals. Well, I'd love to tell Billy Graham that it happens all the time out the front of my house. Mm -hmm. So I feel like we could talk about this forever because it's such a a rabbit warren of of different offshoots. What would you say to people in closing about the world of conspiracy theories, especially if they've got loved ones tied up in it? Um, So I would, I'm not, I'm a nuclear engineer, Mm -hmm. not a psychologist. I've read some books. I have given the list of books that I have read are on my website. Please also read them. Um, But from my perspective, um, conspiracy theories are just a way of explaining phenomenon and events through a totalistic ideology. And the totalistic ideology, the milieu that exists in the United States right now is white evangelical nationalism. People believe in conspiracy theories for the same reason that they join cults. They believe in conspiracy theories, not because of facts and information, but because of emotional, psychological, and social needs. And this is not a fringe issue. If you have an uncle or whoever who believes in these conspiracy theories, um, this is not just like a one-off thing. It is a larger societal issue. Yeah, It is, and we didn't get into it, but it is totalitarianism. We are not like... We are in fascism, like fascism, communism, they can, you can have totalitarianism in multiple different s- systems. And in America, yeah. we, we have fascism and yeah. um, just understand that like you are not alone. Yeah. There is no magic cure. Uh, trust mm-hmm. me, I've tried uh, <laughs> many yeah. different things. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and as far as I have made it, I think that we just need to, the first step is to name the issue. The more people who are aware, the more people who are using the right language, and the more people who are calling out and identifying the issue as white evangelical nationalism. And just like Mm -hmm. a quick little blurb, I I do prefer the term white evangelical nationalism to white Christian nationalism, just because I do think that there are progressive versions of Christianity and other denominations that are less toxic. But ultimately, it comes down to white evangelical nationalism, whether they are Christians or not, just because of the Christian hegemony. Oh, thank you, Sunane. There's so much to think about here and I'll get some links off you to put on the put in the show notes, all of the things, taking off the tinfoil hat on Instagram. Um, I want to say it can be really discouraging to look at the political 
hellscape today and see these these sort of ideologies and worldviews bubbling up, I think it's an important time to be informed. I think it's an important time to dig below the surface, to know what you're dealing with and and to look further into these issues. So thank you so much for today. Um, I wish we could keep talking, but I've got a therapy session, guys. (laughs) So make sure you follow Sinead on Instagram. Check out the link in the show notes. Um, And look, I think do your reading. It's important to do your reading these days and just really understand what's behind the thinking errors that we're seeing with people, what's behind these logical fallacies. Um, It's only when we gear ourselves up that we can make a difference. So thank you so much for today. Um, I'm Claire Heath McIver. Gosh, that sounds nice to say my own name. Um, And thank you for tuning in to Unchurched.